0: Welcome to The Passion Factor, pursuing a career in human rights in conjunction with Human Rights Pulse. My name is Vicki Praise. I'm here with Olivia Rope, Director of Policy and International Advocacy at Penal Reform International. For those who don't know, PRI is an international non-governmental organization working globally to promote criminal justice systems that uphold human rights for all and do no harm. I first met Olivia in 2015, when I attended a workshop organised by PRI. I was then very fortunate to return to the organisation in 2018 to cover Olivia's maternity role as policy and programme manager. Olivia is a qualified lawyer and studied for her law degree in New Zealand. She has a master's degree in international and European law from the University of Amsterdam. I'm sure Olivia will share more about her own career path shortly. In terms of her professional career, I think it's fair to say that Olivia has had an exceptional career as a human rights lawyer and policy professional. She has been with PRI for eight years and has become a leading voice in the criminal justice world advocating for the rights of people in the criminal justice system. Olivia,
1: welcome to The Passion Factor Pursuing a Career in Human Rights. Thank you Vicki. It's great to be here and thank you for such a kind introduction. So I think, for me, the first real question is, is what was a driver for you? What motivated you to work in the human rights field? I always kind of knew that I was drawn to international affairs and kind of politics, but not just at the national level. I was intrigued quite early on in my life, I guess, about other people's lives and kind of problems that they lived. And my mum always says that, she remembers I came home when I was about eight years old and said um, World Vision had come to our school and they had this kind of of child sponsorship scheme which I think they still probably run in Africa um, and that I had signed up to sponsor a child. Um, Of course I had no money except my pocket money and so I think mum and dad paid for this um, sponsor a child scheme every month for many years. Um, And I used to write to my friends in Tanzania and so on. I guess I was drawn to kind of the ideals and and the human rights um, of other people kind of beyond my little neighbourhoods in New Zealand. I decided to do law and I went to the University of Otago, which is um, in Dunedin, a city at the bottom of the South Island of New Zealand. Um, And I mentioned that because it probably couldn't be more sort of far away from the international law world and institutions that you find in Europe and the US and so on. They did have a couple of international law papers as part of The Bachelor. So I took them and I just really got hooked. I, uh, I kind of, until then, I didn't really know much about... Um, the whole field and kind of the different areas that you could specialise even within international law. But then I really got hooked and the professor was, um, he was quite inspiring actually as well. Um, And so I kind of started talking to him a lot about, you know, where I could go with this and and so on. So for my fifth year, I did a, a full year exchange to the University of Amsterdam. And that's where this whole kind of field opened up to me. Um, I kind of realized that I just loved this whole human rights um, area. So I, um, I kind of thought mm, after finishing my bachelor, I'd quite like to go and work for a charity or an NGO. Um, and when I mentioned that to um, one of my professors in Amsterdam, she kind of politely told me that I should probably look at doing a master's, which was news to me um, because in New Zealand it's not that common to do a master's. You usually kind of go on to start your career as soon as you finish your bachelor's. So I immediately uh, ran away, um, kind of found finances from here, there and everywhere and applied to do my master's in international and european law which i loved and i um, stayed in Amsterdam for another couple of years then i was completely broke after living (laughs) in europe uh, for a couple of years so i went back to new zealand and got an internship with amnesty internationals new zealand section and i kind of did um yeah, the hard yards during the internship which was very interesting and kind of was a mixture of campaigns and photocopying and kind of meetings and I got exposed to quite a lot um, early on because it was quite a small organization so there was you know a lot of kind of room if you had initiative and then I got a paid position there working kind of on advocacy and eventually decided New Zealand was a little bit too small and far away from all the big work that was going on, all the big kind of organisations that goes on with human rights. So I moved back to Europe without a job, which was quite brave after only having sort of one year's experience in this field. Um, But luckily, the director of Amnesty New Zealand put me in touch with um, lots of directors of the different Amnesty offices in Europe, which was very kind. And I sort of had that introduction Through him. And so I ended up getting a um, job with Amnesty in their EU office in Brussels, where I stayed for a couple of years, um, working on kind of coordination of all the different um, amnesties in Europe towards the EU institutions. And then eventually decided to move to London, and that's when I got the job with Penal Reform International, which, as you mentioned, I've been there for eight years, which has surprisingly gone very fast. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up where I am now. That, that's really interesting. I think um, everybody who, who's in the human rights sector has
0: done their stint to Amnesty International. It seems to be a sort of rites of passage for us all. At some point, we, we, we've kind of, our, our career has taken us... There, um, and I just wanted to pick up on a couple of things that you mentioned there, and it's about the further study, um, because as we know now, securing a position in the human rights sector, there are so many people wanting to break into it that having that master's degree, be it in public international law with a human rights element or a pure human rights master's, seems to be more and more the the um, way forward. And I just wanted to, to get the sense from you, whether that is your view, whether you think further further study is
1: important valuable and worth it it's it's definitely tough out there at the moment i've kind of spoken to quite a lot of young professionals or people who are getting some practical experience while studying um, and kind of questioning whether they do further study and i think it it's quite hard to kind of answer generally but I, i personally believe that once you are qualified um, nothing kind of beats the practical experience i mean as somebody who is recruiting quite you know quite often and has recruited a lot of kind of young human rights professionals i think i definitely look for the solid base of knowledge and that you know you've done kind of you've got the kind of baseline and kind of what you need to understand the whole system and international law and the human rights framework Especially in policy work, you do need that, but I think once you 're kind of qualified um, unless you want to really specialize or diversify i would i would yeah I would say that it would be more important to kind of get practical work however you can um, and to be a little bit flexible in that. Um, it might not be your dream job, it might not be exactly what you had planned, but certainly as as you probably heard, my career path kind of you know, I did have to go back to New Zealand. I did have to do probably a job that I didn't think, oh, this is exactly what I want to do um, at certain points. But um, in the end, all of that experience is really important for being able to grow as a professional. Um, and I think pausing or kind of going back to study to specialise in something is definitely um, you know worth looking at but I would say kind of once you are qualified just get out there and do whatever you can
0: yeah no I would definitely agree with you there that kind of getting your feet on the ground and, and actually mm. an NGO or another organization actually doing the work on the ground is is the most valuable I suppose sort of thinking about that um again from your experience and your your, your wide experience for those people who are who are listening what skills and qualities do you think you need to work in the human rights field because we we've both seen and and heard, you know, difficult things and and we're going to difficult parts of the world or or seeing people Mm. in very vulnerable positions. So what what do you think it takes to work in human rights field from a qualities point of view, but also what skills and assets?
1: I would say that the human rights field is definitely not the easy career path. You don't get easy wins and um, it seems it's, it's, I think you need to be really resilient. Um, You need to be really committed and, passionate you also need to be um i would say quite flexible and kind of yeah hard working as i said like kind of ready to ready to help and ready to support of course you you have your job description, and you have your boundaries, and you have your tasks, and so on. But it's very much a kind of family, and yeah, as you know, Vicki, um, <laughs> because you've been in my job before. You, you, one minute you might be speaking to the Assistant Secretary General at the at the United Nations, and the next minute you might um, literally be like printing out and preparing folders for a training that you're going to deliver. So it's just it's kind of um, high levels and low levels of different tasks and you need to be able to be um, adaptable and kind of ready to go for it with the kind of greater aims and kind of the end goal always in sight Um, and yeah I think you mentioned international travel which I'm really missing at the moment Um, but I think you need to be diplomatic and able to work with lots of different types of people from all over the world that speak different languages and you have to be able to want to meet different people and kind of have that international um type of experience because you're definitely out of your comfort zone sometimes um in, in the human rights field i think having difficult conversations and sometimes in, in difficult situations
0: yeah no I'd, I'd, I'd certainly support all of those things i think that mm-hmm. the point is a really important one because um we're dealing with the kind of sharp end of life and and, and the mm. things that people are facing there so so having that that resilience and, and equally that that passion because we wouldn't be doing this work if we if we didn't exactly care. so we, we we need we need to kind of keep those kind of close to us and i suppose it kind of brings me
1: on to to asking you to share a, a typical day today if i take today as a typical day yeah. um lots of emails and um, lots of kind of online communications in this coronavirus world so yeah we're all sort of on teams and in talking you know with internal um, internally within PRI and also with external interlocutors um, yeah I guess lots of meetings on Zoom at the moment so today for example um, I'll be speaking with one of our new board members of PRI this morning later I'm speaking with austrian diplomats in new york about a resolution on human rights and the administration of justice that they run we're also really kind of in preparation modes for the kind of last quarter of this year so we're starting to work on our flagship publication global prison trends 2021 and yeah i think hopefully later today i'll also have a couple of hours to do some kind of drafting work which is often part of my day so we're at the moment um, looking at developing new guidance for prison authorities and also detention monitors who go in and kind of monitor the treatment of people in prison and we're looking at issuing specific guidance on older people in prison which have been kind of an overlooked um, group until really recently with um, the impact of COVID-19. So it's really a mixed bag so yeah I guess, as my title kind of say says, I do kind of policy and international advocacy, which is interlinks, but also lots of kind of PRI, strengthening kind of internally, those kind of processes as well that um, I'm involved with. So it's all the kind of, yeah, nice parts of the job, I guess, that you get to develop and um, lots of kind of, yeah, exciting things going on at the moment, as well as a very difficult context and a very different context because usually I would be traveling at least once or twice a month um internationally either to see colleagues um in our regional programs or to the UN in Geneva or so on um and all of that is off the cards at the moment so yeah it, it's it's quite different and um I'm kind of missing it at the moment but we will see and I think it's been quite incredible how um the international affairs world has had to adapt to kind of online processes and, and because yeah international advocacy is really about meeting people um so there's lots of kind of new normals at the moment
0: <laughs> we find ourselves all in that strange situation but i think the sense i get from you and have your day-to-day life it, it's hugely varied um and, mm. it, and it can re- you know your day can 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 really be sort of as you say one moment speaking to austrian diplomats the next minute sort of um, looking at something more internal processes etc so um, yeah exactly that, yeah that variety can be can be hugely interesting and and um and varied so you've kind of given us a snapshot there what what has been the highlights of your career so far and it doesn't necessarily be pri but what but what would you say been one of the high spots for you
1: well i i have been involved um met, i would say at PRI, we've had some quite big wins at the UN level um, in terms of kind of um, negotiating and seeing new standards on the treatment of prisoners being adopted, like the UN Nelson Mandela Rules, and kind of seeing um, these human rights standards being implemented um, in different pockets of the world. You know, and we've been involved with with all of that, and that's been quite exciting. Um, but I think kind of more recently um it's, it's quite hard to kind of monitor and see the longer term impact of some of the work that we do because it's really slow burning um this human rights work you kind of you might have small wins but to see the really long-term change um it's all about kind of sensitizing people and changing mindsets um so i, I think recently when i met um a prison officer who had participated in a training that I had delivered with my colleague about four or five years ago on um, human rights and and the treatment of of prisoners and kind of international law. I was really happy to see that he's now a leader in training staff himself on these standards. Um, And kind of hearing him echo things that we had taught in the course about basic principles and human rights and kind of what you know, what it means to treat somebody with dignity in a very practical sense in a in a detention setting was just so heartening and so satisfying um, because I could see that he had kind of, we had sown those seeds all, you know, quite a few years ago and now he was really a human rights champion um, even though he probably wouldn't call himself that. It's really motivating to see that you know, sometimes in this work, you do feel like you're kind of implementing different activities and you're not quite sure of the kind of longer term impact. And sort of when you see that, um, it's really it's really great to see. So I would say that's been kind of recent highlights that I can share.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When You know, uh, it is important to kind of cascade that human write messages mm. down to, to those people on the ground and so, so that that means something to us when we, when we see that happening and that those messages mm. are actually being received and, and implemented so as, as you know that we said that this this kind of chat is is really to help students and early career professionals who are who are hoping to kind of work in the, in the sector there so what is the best piece of advice or it may be you know um, various bits of advice that you can offer to, to anyone who is looking to start out in the human rights field. Um, and I suppose particularly now in the time of the pandemic which is not going away anytime soon COVID and, and how do how do you break out how do you make those take those
1: initial steps? Um, in mm. the- I would definitely say that you, you need to get out there you know it's a very sort of you need to know people Um, you need to hear from people that are in the sector. Um, You know, you could try and find a mentor, seek advice from people, um, and really go for any opportunity that pops up. Um, I think sometimes if you, you know, have a very specific kind of path that you want to follow, there might be opportunities that pop up that don't exactly fit in that. Um, But I think it's very much getting a foot in the door and getting experience on your CV volunteer, you know, you could write, you can write blogs, you can, um, you know, do different voluntary things to kind of get some experience. And I think that's been, yeah, that was really key in my career um, very early on to kind of um, both meet a lot of people um, and, you know, have a bit of a network and and talk to people who are working in the sector. And I think, yeah, this podcast is really, is really great um, to kind of, is, is part of that I guess, um, so yeah I think try everything um, and eventually um, you know that experience even if it's not in exactly the field that you want to be, what is is always transferable and it's about kind of getting some skills and, and kind of meeting people.
0: Definitely I, I'd agree with that sort of try, have a little taste of everything and you'll soon find out where your kind of interest and passion lies. But yeah exactly. Of you, speaking of it. And it's something that you I mentioned there about networking, which is very mm. counterintuitive to, to certainly me, but it's something that we we need to do um, in the human rights world. So, what what mm. do you think about that 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 networking um, piece?
1: Yeah, I think um, you're right that it, it's kind of a necessity. And I mean, now in my job, networking is absolutely key and, and part of my everyday life um more online now but you know in, in the past at at events and so on. Um, and that's kind of, you know, it's about when when you're pushing for change and you're pushing for kind of um, improvements in human rights, it's about people. So you really need to have the wide network. Um, and in terms of kind of you know chasing chasing a career in human rights, I think in the early stages of my career, I didn't really realise how important it was, um, but I've now seen that um, contacts that I made um, in even in, in New Zealand back in when I was working for Amnesty there have now popped up later, and there even people that I'm trying to influence in government or at the UN, um, or they you know might have um, the key to to reaching the people that we're trying to influence. So. Yeah, I think it's absolutely um, key. And there's different ways of networking. So um, if you don't quite have the confidence to kind of go to events and just walk up to people, um, you know, there's there's also online ways and there's, there's like lots written out there about successful networking and I think once you start doing it, it becomes easier and easier. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's definitely um, it's definitely a, a part of my everyday life now. Yeah,
0: and I think starting off sort of early in your career the, the better. Um, mm. Building building those all important connections with people because at the end of the day, it's about people and as you say, yeah. about influencing them um, and 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 you know that that's really vital and now in the time of zoom it really does feel very virtual but there's lots of opportunities to 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 network Um, yeah i would agree yeah so closing it up um any any final words um of wisdom that you'd like to share or impart
1: yeah sure i i think um what you said before and kind of the the title of this podcast around passion um i think Most people that work in the human rights sector are there for a reason, and it's because they're very passionate about a cause. Um, And I think if you kind of keep that um, at the core, and there there will be many trying times, either trying to find a job or succeeding in a job, um, but I think, you know, if if you really have that passion at your core, then you will succeed. Um, and I think now with the world we're living in, it is, it is very difficult, um, you know, it's, it's difficult times in many, many ways, and especially um, for young people and young graduates who, who are trying to kind of break through into this career. But if you, if you really have that passion and you take every opportunity you can and keep an open mind learning and growing and as you go on, then you will succeed. Um, and yeah, I wish everybody listening the best. Thank you. And that's a really positive
0: note to, to end on. I think we need that. And when certainly when I'm helping and supporting students and young professionals, I always say that, you know, you follow your heart and, and the passion will drive you and everything else will kind of fall, fall into place. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much for, for taking time out of your super busy schedule to talk to us. My pleasure, Vicky. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Passion Factor, Pursuing a Career in Human Rights.